User experience is incredibly important as a food blogger. If you want the people who are coming to your website randomly from Google to pay attention, then user experience is how you do that. In today's episode, I am sharing how user experience helps you to attract your ideal audience and how you can increase your traffic by focusing on your website user experience. Hey friend, I'm Madison Wetherill, a web designer and branding strategist for food bloggers and your host for the Vine podcast. This show is all about supporting you as a food blogger as you grow your business. I'll share tips for designing your business and your website with intention so that you can build a blog that fits into your life, not consumes it. You'll hear tips for connecting with your audience, growing your blog, and tips for managing and designing your website, all in short, easy to consume and actionable episodes. If you're ready to think differently about the strategies and tactics that you need to grow your food blog, you are in the right place. I'm so excited that you're here, friend. Let's get started. Hey, food bloggers. Welcome back to another episode of the show. I hope that you are having a fantastic week so far, and thank you so much for joining me every Tuesday for another brand new episode on the show. Today's episode in particular is about a topic that I absolutely love talking about, and that is user experience. If you've been around the show for any length of time, you probably have heard me speak about user experience and really dive into why it is so important for growing your food blog. And this week's episode is actually a reshare from an interview that I did over on the Smart Influencer Podcast. Now, I had the ladies from the Smart Influencer Podcast back on the show, back in episode 127, when we talked about how to protect your business if something happens to you. So if you did not listen to that episode, I would highly recommend going back and listening to it because they shared so many great tips for how you can do just that, how you can prepare your business for the unexpected. But in today's episode, like I said, I am resharing the interview that I did over there because I shared so many of my best tips for using user experience to not only attract your ideas audience to your website, but also to capture them and to increase your traffic by simply focusing on the experience that your readers are having while they are on your website. So I hope you get so much value from listening to this interview. And if you do, I would love for you to share this episode with a friend. Send it to your food blogger bestie in a text, in a DM on Instagram, whatever it is. I would love for you to share this and to help spread the word about this podcast and about this resource that we have created for food bloggers just like you. All right, let's dive right into the episode with the Smart Influencer Podcast. Before we jump in and start talking about that, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your business? Well, as you guys have said, my name is Madison Wetherill, and I am the CEO and founder of Grace and Vine Studios. And over there, we specialize in building custom websites and brands for food bloggers who are really looking to take their business to the next level. And what we mean by that is really somebody who has typically been in the industry for a little while. And as their business has continued to evolve, they really begin to step into their own expertise. Their website has kind of just, you know, been on the back burner or has just, you know, remained kind of static and kind of blending into the rest of the food blogging world. And so they're really looking for not only a look that helps them to stand out, but also to really be able to create a user experience on their website that helps people to find what they're looking for and really puts their website into being more of a niche resource than kind of what I call just a food blog where it's just recipes and really hard to navigate and things like that. So that's what we do over at Grace and Vine. And apart from that, I live in the Phoenix, Arizona area with my family and mostly just try to enjoy, you know, the sunshine and all of that that we get most of the year around here. You're very lucky. (laughs) (laughs) Sunshine most of the year, lots of vitamin D. Yes. 
that, that's great. Um, user experience is truly, I think, one of the most important things when it comes to blogging, especially food blogging, right? Because we eat with our eyes before we even taste anything. So just being able to sell our content to our viewers um, so that they're clicking around and seeing everything that we have to offer is so super important. Yes, it really is. And I like that you even said that you know, it's, it's about selling because I think so many food bloggers think like, well, I'm not selling anything. I just like, I'm sharing content. And yes, that is true. You might not be requiring someone to pay you money to be accessing your website, but we're really trying to get people to pay attention and to, to stop and to care about what we're sharing. And user experience is really kind of the key to that process. And, and I'd love to just define user experience first, because I think a lot of people maybe have a lot of ideas of what this can mean, but really simply put user experience is just the focus or the emphasis on trying to make sure that your website is easy to use. And that is really going to vary so much site to site, but there are of course, some things that are just like basics of user experience that everyone should have, but really like, don't let the phrase of user experience be overwhelming to you because it really is just making sure that it's easy for someone to browse your website, to search something on your website and to find what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. And when you compare it down to that, it's a little bit easier to kind of get into, you know, some, some highlights of what needs to be done on a website to make that happen. So if we, if we just focus on how can we make our websites easy to use, that's really what we're talking about when we talk about user experience. Yeah, I think there's two sides to user experience, right? We have the content side um, and making sure we're that industry expert or that eat expert in our subject matter. But then, like you said, the design end of it and the visual end of it is so, and the functionality even is equally as important, I think, as the content that we're putting out, because that's how people are deciding whether they want to click on my lasagna recipe or your lasagna recipe or Corinne's lasagna recipe is if, you know, if it's easy to navigate, there's nothing more frustrating too than a website that is not easy to navigate. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And a huge part of this too, is that as the content creator, like we use our websites all the time, constantly throughout the day. So we are so used to the nuances of our website. Although I can say that a lot of our clients who come and work with us, they say that even they can't find stuff on their own website. And so, you know, that that's like a huge red flag. If you can't even find what you're looking for, there's definitely some, some work to be done. But I think to your point, you know, the first step in user experience is really like, if someone clicks to your website from Google or from Pinterest, are they going to stick around? Is it going to be easy for them to find what they're looking for? And spoiler alert, what they're looking for when they hop over from Google or Pinterest is the recipe. That's what they want to get to. And that's what they're interested in. But there's a lot of things that we can do to keep their interest once they find that. And that's kind of, I guess, you know, the advanced side of user experience and really what I like to call like creating a reader journey through your website. But the first most important thing is that you are capturing them and not making them just jump back to Google because, you know, right. there were a million pop-ups in their face or they couldn't find the recipe card or whatever it is. You want to make sure that from that initial moment and really that like nanosecond that they view your site, that they want to stick around at least long enough to figure out if, you know, there's something for them on your website. So let's talk about that first. So addressing when someone lands on your site, how to keep them there so they don't bounce away. And let's talk specifically about food blogs, because again, they're coming like they were enticed enough. They wanted this recipe. So what is it that needs to happen as soon as they land there? Like, what should we be avoiding doing and what should we make as easy as possible? Yeah. So like I mentioned, you know, we have to remember as much as it frustrates us as food bloggers, they're interested in the recipe and it doesn't mean that the rest of what you have on your, you know, on your blog is not important, but you have to really get into the mind of your reader and 
And also remember that they're not your reader yet. They're just a random person who found you from Google or Pinterest and they don't really know you. They don't really, you know, they're not attached to what it is that you do. So the very first thing is just remembering that. And then, you know, remembering that they're curious about the recipe specifically because they want to know if it's going to meet the need that, you know, they ultimately searched for. So I always like to talk about this idea of search intent because it's really important to understand that somebody is not, it's a little bit like backwards to think about, but they're not just coming to your site because they're looking for a recipe. But when they get to your site, they are looking for the recipe card to see if it fits what they were originally searching for. So to give you an example of this, so let's say that somebody is searching for a grilled pork tenderloin recipe. There could be, you know, five to 10 different reasons that they're searching for that recipe. They could be hosting a barbecue this weekend. They could be just interested in trying a new, you know, they've never cooked pork tenderloin before. So they're interested in finding a recipe for it. Maybe they, you know, are kind of a grill master and they're just bored of their old recipe. So they're trying to look for something new. But each of those examples, that person is completely different. And what they're, the reason that they're searching is completely different. So when they get to your site, that's when you can start to kind of like figure out what it is that they need next. But again, the first instant that they get to your site, you don't want to overwhelm them with all of this other information that isn't the recipe itself. So when we have things like multiple pop-ups or, you know, a pop-up and a a search form and like all these other things just happening, it's very overwhelming to people. And they're just going to go back to Google to find a better result. So that was kind of a lot to unpack right there. But I think the most important thing to remember is understanding why they're on your site in the first place and then helping them to find that so that they can figure out whether it is going to fit the need of what they were searching for in the first place. Right. Yeah. And I think there's a couple different areas to look at with that, right? Do they have the ingredients on hand? Is it, does it have things that they're you know, that they don't want, like that they're allergic to, or, you know, making sure that, that it fits the needs that way that they have the time to prepare it. So there's so many things that readers can be looking for before right. they, and we have to, you know, it's not like, we don't need to be offended that they only care about the recipe card, right? Like mm-hmm. most of the time they want the recipe card for exactly what you just said. They're wanting to make sure it's something that they actually want to make because they're probably looking at it for the first time when they're meal planning or when they're maybe at the grocery store trying to find something. So they're likely going to, if it's a good fit, they're going to come back to it later and then spend more time browsing the post and really figuring out what kind of you know information you have in there. But if they don't get to the you know, the heart of the recipe itself to make sure it's a good fit and they get, you know, inundated with a bunch of other things that's creating that poor user experience. And they're not going to even, it could be the best recipe in the entire world. (laughs) They're just going to leave because it's not worth the overwhelm that they're experiencing when there's poor user experience. Well, and I'll say like, because I, I search for recipes for a lot of things I'll make. Um, and so I, if it doesn't have a jump to recipe, I click away as a food blogger, I will click away because I'll give you your ad revenue when I make the dish and I'm sitting in your recipe card for the 30 minutes it takes me to prepare it. Like everybody's worried about losing this ad revenue from the scroll, but you lost it because as soon as I got there and realized I couldn't jump to recipe and I had to scroll on my phone at the grocery store, I was out. I went on to the next recipe. Yeah. And to your point, there's, there's a couple of other things that could happen too, that would have just made you say, okay, forget it. We talked about pop-ups. That's a huge one because there's often probably more, you might think I only have one pop-up, but there's usually other things happening that maybe you don't even see when you are maybe logged in or you're just, you know, you're a regular, a regular visitor to your site. So that's one. The second thing is page speed, because, you know, if you're at the grocery store and, you know, you don't have 5g or you don't have a Wi-Fi connection, the site is going to load completely differently than what you're used to. 
maybe when you look at it on your phone. So right there, you've got two really good opportunities potentially to improve if you have that experience happening on your site. And those things are just going to help people to get to your recipe card and decide whether or not it's a good fit for them. Yeah. And I think too, if they bounce off, that's increasing your bounce rate, which is not good either for SEO. So there's a lot of things happening and it's, it's so important just to make sure that we capture them right on that first click through. So let's say that we do that. We succeed. They come to the recipe. They're going to make ours, right? They're going to hang out there. What are some things, especially like this apply, I think user experience applies no matter what kind of site you have, but like, since we're talking about specifically food blogs, because like they've come with a very specific intention to make this recipe. So what is it that you're going to do that's going to convince them either to stick around longer and hit some other site or other pages or to convince them to like sign up so that you can retarget them and have them keep coming back? Like, how do we retain this, this visitor? Yeah. So really the first step is understanding who the audience is that you're bringing to your site or the ideal audience that you want to be bringing to your site. Because I always like to kind of envision this, like you have this large pool of an audience that is, you know, anyone and everybody who's coming to your site from all the places. And then in that pool, you have a smaller pool of people that are like your dream readers who you can really help, that you can help support them in what they're struggling with. And they kind of, they check all the boxes for you. So we want to figure out like, who is that target audience? Because without understanding that we could be offering them something that is completely irrelevant. So in the example I gave earlier with the the grilled pork tenderloin, if you are trying to, you know, serve up a freebie, let's say for somebody who is brand new to using their grill, but everybody who's coming to your site for this recipe is an advanced like grill master, you're missing the mark there on being able to connect those dots. So first you really have to know like who it is that I want to be on my site, because that is going to really affect you know, what type of call to action you use for them. And so, so often people think like what I'm, you know, oh, this freebie isn't converting correctly, but it's like, it could be that the freebie itself is great, but your audience is not meeting that your audience is more advanced or more beginner than what it is that you're doing. So that's really the first step is understanding that audience. And, um, there's a lot of different ways to do that, but that really comes, you know, there, again, there's some basics to user experience that just create a good use of your website. But when you want to kind of go advanced into user experience, it's really figuring out who your ideal person is so that you can capture them, like you said. And also just remembering that not everybody is your ideal person and that's okay. But what we want to do is make it really easy for your ideal person to A, understand what your site is about and, you know, what action you want them to take. And then B, to recognize that, yes, you're that person that I want to be a part of this tribe that I'm building. I love that. And I love that idea. And and you mentioned it earlier about putting the reader on a journey. And I think that that is what's, what's super important because once we get them in, we want them to stay. So if they're there for our pork tenderloin and they fell in love with that and they know they want to make that, then we want to serve them up some other ideas of what they could have with their pork tenderloin and just kind of keep them clicking around or like what to make with leftover pork tenderloin. And I think that's all part of that experience and getting that time on page longer and the time on the site longer so that they're clicking around. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if you, if you don't understand that about that person, you might be serving or the other side of this is that you're automating things a little bit too much and just serving like a very generic or, you know, 
even a specific freebie to a post that doesn't make sense. For example, if you had like a five best smoothie recipes, that does not connect with the grilled pork tenderloin idea. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you have to make sure it makes sense what you're trying to get them to do. Aside from having the freebie, you mentioned like having related posts that are really relevant and make sense for that person to want to click into. That starts with understanding why they're searching for that in the first place. So again, are they a grill master who just wants some creative new flavors? Are they somebody who needs to be served like a basic, you know, grilling 101 blog post or freebie or um, even a cookbook that you might have? There's so many different things that it could be. For every site, it's going to be, you know, different and, and specific to that site and to that audience. But it's really first understanding like, like, who am I even trying to get to sign up? Because the truth is you don't want that gigantic pool of the Google audience to be signing up for your email list because that could be so many people that are just not relevant to the mission and the niche of your website. I'm glad you said that because this comes up every time we talk about email. Because um, there, especially when you're trying to grow your email list, people get so hurt by the unsubscribes. And it has always been our theory that like, I celebrate the unsubscribes. Mm -hmm. I don't want to pay for you if you're never going to click and give me money in some way. And I don't mean that in a callous way, but if, if I'm not your person, if I don't have what you need, don't make me pay for you. (laughs) Email people are expensive. So like really being okay with the fact that everybody's not your person and that is okay. Um, And two, to your point about like really being good at what we do is figuring out who you're serving and having a specific person you're serving, right? Like these niches that you're going to really drill down on. This is my lane that I'm going to be in and I'm going to do it really, really well. But you see the numbers for other stuff, right? Like, oh, air fryer, you know, recipes are getting tons of traffic. Well, everybody's going after air fryer traffic because there's so, you know, there's so much search volume, like really doing one thing well that maybe not everyone in the universe is doing. It's not a bad thing. Yeah. And you know, that's just the, that's the nature of what marketing is. And I think people so often forget that, or like you said, they just get sad about it, but it's really, it's attracting the correct people to your site. And and when I say correct, I'm saying the people who you can help that you are that subject expert, you know, authority, and you're able to help them on this journey with their struggle versus if I'm just trying to attract anyone and everyone, first of all, it's, it's not going to be very effective. You're not going to really be able to make an impact with those people. But second of all, you're, you're making it a lot harder for yourself than it needs to be, to be honest, because in order to be able to like really capture all those people, you're going to have to have like little seeds planted in all of these different topics and create all of these different like content silos for yourself, where if you were able to just really focus in on who is my person and what do they struggle with, then I can create these really impactful, you know, blog posts and resources and all of those things that are really going to help people, which is going to help them to want to be engaged, want to stick on the page longer, want to come back to your site. It's going to make it so much easier for you to reach your goals when you're able to really like narrow in on that person and not be afraid to repel the people who don't fit in that box. Like that is, it needs to just be okay. (laughs) So tell us a little bit more in, in a very generic sense, like I'm picking up this message and I hope the listeners are, but there have to be some things in terms of user experience that in each blog post, all of us could be doing that are going to enhance the user experience that are going to make it easier to keep people around. And what are those things that we need to think about beyond know who your person is and try to figure out what they want, right? Absolutely. So some of the kind of the basics of just from a web design perspective, some things that you can do to make sure that your user experience is well thought out and 
is not annoying to your readers. The first is to make sure that you have an easy to find search bar, because if for some reason that, you know, maybe the blog post that they landed on isn't a great fit, but they for some reason, like your site, or they just want to see what else you have, you want it to be easy for them to find something else to search around for. So especially on mobile, this is really important. I know, you know, we all know that mobile traffic is so important, but back in the day when mobile traffic wasn't as big, people would just hide a search bar in their sidebar, but that's basically impossible to find on a mobile device, especially when blog posts are so long. Um, It takes way too much scrolling for people and people will not do it. Mm -hmm. So you want your search bar to be like, front and center at the top, you know, they should see it as soon as the page loads, that type of thing. Ideally, it's kind of part of your navigation menu in some way, but you just, it shouldn't take more than one click for someone to like actually access the search bar and to search something. You can also have multiple search bars to make this even easier and better. So on pages like a recipe index or a homepage featuring another search bar to make it easy and even telling people like, are you looking for a specific recipe? Type an ingredient and, and search for it, that type of thing. I will say that the kind of like default or built-in search functionality of WordPress is not all that robust. Um, It works, but it's, you know, a lot of people will come to us and say that they're, they're frustrated that their search doesn't work. And unfortunately, WordPress search is just not my favorite, but um, when built correctly and when it's accessible to people, it it is, it's good. But something like Slickstream is another great way to really enhance the search experience with someone. But at the end of the day, you need it to be easy for someone to search for something because they probably have something specific in mind and they're not going to browse through, you know, hundreds of posts in a category or anything like that to find it. The second thing is making sure that your navigation is organized and really clean. You really want to make sure that kind of your main navigation, again, I'm envisioning what your site would look like on mobile, that has the most important links and the links that are going to help me get to the places that I need to be. So again, homepage, recipe index, probably your top categories. Those are the the kind of main things you want to make sure you have in your navigation. You know, if it's important enough to have it on your homepage as like a section or on your sidebar, it's probably important enough to have it in that main navigation. And then remember, you can use like a footer navigation or another navigation for some of those non-essential links, like your privacy policy, your disclaimers, your contact us page, like those don't have to take up real estate space in your main navigation if you don't have the space for it. If you have the space for it and it works, great. And then I think the other one, the most important one is that we've already talked about a little bit is just limiting those website interruptions. So making sure you're not having multiple pop-ups, especially making sure that your pop-ups are delayed. They should not be popping up the second your page loads. A, that will make your page load slower. And B, it's just annoying if someone does not know you and does not care yet. So it's not going to be effective either. Can I pause you for a second there? Do you have a recommendation as to what to set that for? Like after they scroll a certain percentage or after a certain amount of time or exit intent only, like what's your, what's your default recommendation for that? I like um, scrolling a percentage. So some, you know, your recipe card is probably going to be, it also depends on, you know, per site because some sites have like tons of comments. So 50% of the way down the page could be in the middle of the comments. But I think, you know, anything from like 40 to 60% of the way down the page is really helpful. And if you're going to do that, Um, the second delay is tough because some people are only on the site for a second, but again, if they're on the site for a second, it doesn't matter. They're not going to subscribe anyway. So you could do something like three to five second delay, but you also need to know how fast your page is loading. So if your page is taking 10 seconds to load, you know, that's going to just add to that time. Exit intent is really great for desktop, but it doesn't work for mobile. So that's something to consider too. So if you have the flexibility to have a pop-up set up in multiple ways, then I would probably do, you know, 40 to 60% of the way down the page and maybe an exit intent on desktop, but that's a great question. Yeah. That all makes sense. 
So yeah, I kind of went through those quickly, but hopefully those made sense. But basically easy to find search bar, organized navigation, and then limit those website interruptions so that you can prioritize your content because all of those other things take people away from your content. Okay. So we started off like the, I mean, the topic, I think the, the way we originally introduced it is doubling your page views with user experience, right? So can we talk a little bit about that? Because I know that's the part probably our listeners are most excited about is getting more traffic, you know, like having more traffic. Uh, earning more ad revenue. So Mm -hmm. why is it that in user experience is going to have such a high impact on traffic? Yeah. So we've kind of alluded to this a little bit, but you know, the less, (laughs) I keep wanting to say the less annoying that your website is to somebody, the more likely it is they're going to stick around. But if that is true, that is going to increase the likelihood that someone's going to click around to something else on your site. If they never get to the recipe card, if they never see the content that's on your blog post, if they never see that related post section, they're never going to add to your page views and click onto another page. So, you know, with well-designed websites and with user experience that is intentional, we can create a higher percentage of a chance for somebody to click around more on your site. And that's really what we want to make sure is happening, that someone isn't just coming to one page and bouncing. Mm -hmm. You mentioned bounce rate earlier, but they are hopefully, you know, viewing the blog post that they came from Google, and then they're clicking at least to one other place. And that's going to help increase overall the amount of page views that you have. So, you know, I think we so often think about increasing our traffic and we think we need more people to come to our website. But if you can keep the people who are already coming to your website, clicking around longer, that's a way of increasing our traffic as well. It's different because it's not more users, but it's more page views. It potentially is more sessions. And the further someone dives into your site and the more they click around, the more likely they are to take action on something like, uh, you know, subscribe to my email list or even just to remember your site. Because if they're only there for 20 seconds to see the recipe card, they're not going to remember what the blog was even called. Yeah. So it's really important to just kind of think about this less of how we always think about increasing traffic, which is more people coming to our site. And to remember that we have such potential to keep people on our site longer and that increases our traffic as well. Yeah. And I think that getting that user and following that journey to follow that journey that we've outlined for them is, is so important. And you see that a lot now. I think people, food bloggers especially have refined their template of how they're creating content to make that journey more um, obvious for them. We're putting in serving suggestions and putting in other related uh, recipes or what to do with leftovers. And I think that that's super important because when you put on your user hat, like I know when I I'm on a website looking for a recipe. Those are the things that are going through my mind. Like, what can I make with this? Or what am I going to do with what's left over? And I like when it's put right out in front of me and tells me exactly, like the, the author tells me exactly what I should be doing. Cause it makes my job so much easier then. Yeah. And I think to your point about, you know, food bloggers have kind of updated the way that they write content, which is awesome. But we still have to remember that we have to know who our user is because it doesn't make sense to serve up that type of suggestion. I just had a call with a new client of ours yesterday, and she has a lot of readers who are older and who are starting to have to adjust to cooking for one, you know, whether they've lost a spouse or they're just, you know, maybe divorced or widowed, whatever it is, but that's their struggle. And so for her, it makes so much sense for her to put in a blog post, you know, how to cut down the serving size or how to make this for one. For another site, that would make no sense. It would be completely irrelevant information, you know, or maybe it would be relevant for a very small percentage of the audience, but more than likely it's like that maybe their audience is a family that needs to double a portion size. So it's really like, again, going back to this idea of knowing your people, you just can't create that reader experience without understanding who they are. 
And then, you know, like you said, in that example that you gave, when you're searching for something, maybe there's a blog post that someone recommends to go and see other ways to use leftover chicken recipes. And then that's like a really natural thing. It's kind of that you you want your reader to almost think like, how did they know that I was going to need that? And it's because they know who you are. Like they know you from a general perspective, but they understand your struggle because they've communicated with their audience and they've, you know, understood that versus being able to just serve like you know, did you like this chicken recipe? Here's 20 more chicken recipes. Like, yeah. yes, that might be interesting for somebody, but if it's like, I'm able to suggest something that will help you with the next step of your problem, that's going to be so much more effective and create that, right. you know, that loyalty with your reader. Well, and I think one of the things you said earlier that really resonated with me and I made an, I jotted a note down about it was to think about where your reader is in their journey, especially with food bloggers, right? They might be a beginner cook, you know, maybe they're a new bride and they're just starting out and they don't know what they're doing and being able to not just provide more chicken recipes, but Hey, you want more beginner recipes? Start here. I'm your resource. Or if you're looking for something a little more advanced, you could, you know, go here. And I really like that because I think it's a little more thought provoking rather than being just, you know, here's more chicken recipes for you. You're like, you're really getting in their head. Well, and it also just, it helps you to stand apart too, because I think as this is happening less often now, I think a lot of people are really understanding we need to be niche down. We need to like really have kind of our lane that we're in, but you know, back in the beginning days of food blogging, people just would post anything that they wanted to because they wanted to do it. And it, it sounded good at the time. And that's just not going to help people to see that journey and understand that next step. Mm -hmm. And it's, it also doesn't help Google to understand Mm -hmm. like how your site is structured and how it functions either. So yes, we're talking about user experience, but there's so many other benefits, even going back to your question, Corinne, about like, how does this increase traffic? Mm -hmm. Well, if you're really connecting those dots for your reader, Google is also seeing those dots connected, which is going to help Google to understand overall what your site is about, how it's structured. You know, if I'm recommending going to the chicken category to see all of my other chicken recipes, now Google understands that connection and so does your reader. So it's, it's a, it's such a win-win situation all around. And, you know, it's something that I think is just, it's such an easy thing to do, but it's so often missed because we're kind of looking at the bigger picture of like, let's just bring more people to our site. Yeah. You're building that no like, and trust with both with Mm -hmm. Google and your readers. And that's so important because once people know, like, and trust you, they are yours forever, right? Cause they see you as being that ultimate resource for them. I love that philosophy. Yeah. And, you know, I mentioned that at the the beginning of the episode that that's something that our clients are really looking to do is create a resource out of their website. I hear that so often from our clients and just from food bloggers in general. And when we think about it, a food blog, if you want to just define a food blog, it's like a random collection of recipes. It's it's like having an online version of a cookbook. But for most of us, we're wanting to create something that really does serve our reader and really is a resource that they want to come back to. So, you know, if you have a photocopy of a recipe, you're probably not going to come back to that very often. But if you have a resource that teaches you something and helps you to like take that next step on your journey, that's what you're going to want to come back to. Again, you know, when people come back to our sites, that's more page views. So there's so many different ways that this, you know, plays out. But at the end of the day, it's just about getting people to to stick around and to come back in the future or to care enough to subscribe. And that's, you know, that's your ticket in as well. So let's dive into that just a little bit more. If you want to go from just being a food blog to being that resource, what are some things that you need to consider? Like, what should you be thinking about when planning out your editorial calendar or really, you know, planning out your content or how you want to serve your reader? Yeah, I think the the part you just said is 
the most important is how do you want to serve your reader? You know, how do you want to help them? And what does that journey look like for them? You know, for a lot of people, usually you're helping somebody who maybe is on the same journey that you've been on, but maybe they're a a couple steps behind you. So, you know, like you said, it could be a a new bride who is learning to cook for two. It could be a new mom who has a child with, you know, celiac and they have to learn how to cook gluten-free. Could be as simple as something like Cause you know, not every niche has to necessarily fit into like a dietary restriction or something specific like that, but it could just be somebody who is wanting to learn how to make cocktails when they're entertaining their friends, but you have to understand what that issue or that's, you know, what that problem is for them so that you can create the resources around this. Something that I see a lot of food bloggers not doing is really stepping outside of the recipe content bucket and thinking about how they can create content that is you know, it's supplemental to their recipe content, but it's more of a how-to. So in the example of, you know, entertaining with cocktails, maybe it's how to double a cocktail and make it serve more people or how to take a cocktail recipe and make it into a pitcher recipe. That is solving the problem of my reader needing to multiply a recipe for a group of people. Mm-hmm. But that's a totally different problem than somebody who maybe is making cocktails for one. And so it it totally changes the way that you're going to approach the content. So again, it goes back to understanding who that person is and what they need from you. And then being okay with creating content that doesn't fit the box of being a recipe, because I think so many people just get stuck in that box. And there's so many other ways that we can support our readers. And it might not look like, you know, the Google search query of so-and-so recipe. It might be how to do something. And what I found too, is those keywords are often the ones that have a much easier they're much easier to rank for because people aren't doing them. So if you can get specific about those and start creating that, that's again, going to help your readers to see you as an expert in that topic. And it's going to help them to want to maybe browse those resources or browse your recipe content more to dive in and to really to learn from you because they're going to start to see you as less of somebody who's just here's a photocopy of a recipe and more of somebody who's saying here, let me take your hand and let me help you walk through this journey. Right. And they're great interlinking opportunities because mm-hmm. every time you talk about like a whole chicken that you're cutting into cores, you can reference that post, for example, and great backlink opportunities since, like you said, a lot of food bloggers don't want to write those posts. Mm-hmm. So yeah. And that's-, that's also a great opportunity. If you, if you're like, I don't really want to write those posts, like that's a great opportunity to hire a writer to help you with that. Cause I know some, so many people are so attached to the recipe development or the photography or whatever, but you know, if you are writing more of these articles than like a blog post with a, re- a recipe card in it, you know, it might help you to be a little bit more detached from like having to have that control. And you can use like photos that you already have from other blog posts. It's such an yep. easy way to be more productive and like repurpose information and content in a new way. That's really helpful. I think roundups are a good example of that too, that aren't often thought of as a resource, but they, they can be for somebody again, giving back to the example of how to use leftover chicken. Like that's a perfect opportunity to create a resource or a roundup post that again, it serves a bigger purpose and a bigger need than, Oh, I just needed a recipe for dinner tonight. So, okay. So since I'm a checklist person, for our listeners that are also checklist people, if we, if they like decide this is a goal, they want to work on user experience so that they can increase traffic to their site or so they can just be a better resource. Step one is to just really drill down on who it is you're trying to serve, right? Um, that's the first thing that they would do. Then the second thing is to 
like make changes to the site perhaps to make sure that your site isn't throwing up any barriers and that it really is serving that purpose. So whether it's shutting down some of your pop-ups, working on page speed, like there's a lot that you, that you already covered that goes into that, right? Like making sure the navigation is clean. So that's step two. Then we're at individual blog posts. So making sure those individual blog posts really answer all of the, the questions that the reader has and directs them to the resources that you have on your site. So maybe step four is if you run into places where you don't have those resources available, developing those, those resources so you have somewhere to point them. Am I missing anything in this rudimentary, this <laughs> off the cuff, like, let me try to summarize what you've said. Is that pretty much the outline of what you would recommend? Yeah, absolutely. And, and really it comes down to like being able to look at your content from a holistic view, I think. And, and once you, because I think we so often get stuck in like, here's my blog post for today. Here's my blog post for tomorrow. And kind of backing up and being able to look at it from an overview and say like, where am I missing opportunities to really serve my, my reader? And just really thinking about what that path is for somebody. One, just like an extra tip that I would mention in some of what we talked about is another way to help your reader is actually, it goes back to some of the design elements, but using Gutenberg blocks and really helping the content stand out when somebody is looking for something specific. So Christina, you mentioned like looking for you know, tips for storing the chicken or tips for reusing the chicken. Like that's something that should be standing out from the rest of your content so that it, it makes sense that someone's going to see it. So that's another like great way to make sure that as you're organizing your content and as you're putting sort of these resources forward, that people will actually see them. And then just kind of another thing along with that is just making sure that it's in a place where people will actually see it. So I mentioned with the navigation, like keeping the important things at the top and the non so important things maybe in your footer, but with your content, it works the same way. You know that people want to get to their recipe card. So include the things you want them to do next as close to the recipe card as you can, whether that's like right below it or right above it. But if you put in the middle of your blog post something for someone to do, they might not ever see it if they don't actually go and read the blog post. So you really want to utilize the space on your website where people people are the most engaged and where they're actually going to see things. Yeah. I think sometimes we get caught up in making things look pretty and not thinking about the functionality and how we're actually using the page or not even us, but how our readers are actually interacting on the page and where they're clicking and where they're viewing. I think that that's so important to understand, you know, that part of it too. Like, where are they actually going? What are they skipping over? So you know where those prime pieces of real estate are on your blog posts. Yeah. And just remembering that whatever it is that you want them to do, that call to action that's important to you, prioritizing that and making it really obvious for them. You know, it's, it's hard because there's so many things we want our readers to do, but yeah. you really have to just get, get okay with being specific about what it is you want them to do. Like just imagine you only have, I mean, you don't have to imagine it's the truth, but you only have a few seconds to capture them. So what is the most important action for them to take? So often people are like, oh, I just want them to make the recipe, but that's not really true. Like you do want them to make the recipe, but you want them to do something next because you don't want to lose them forever. So mm -hmm. think about what that is in the context of that reader experience and that reader journey. And I think you're going to see a huge increase in just, you know, people sticking around longer, clicking around longer, and just, you know, having the potential to become an engaged reader, because that's, I think, what we want at the end of the day is engaged readers that come back to our site who, you know, share about our site with their friends and who ultimately get value from it. Like that's really the, the goal at the end of the day is for them to get value. 
So yeah. speaking of that, you have a podcast episode, don't you, where you talk about like the things you should do in your blog post to make it stand out so that we can kind of pull them in and keep them interested. Can you talk a little bit more about that episode and then in your po- about your podcast in general so we can know where to send people? Yeah. So we have a, a podcast episode where I talk all about how to make your blog post stand out because as we talked about, you know, there are so many things that could detract people from wanting to stick around, or there's just so many things that might send people back to Google. And so that episode is on the Vine podcast. You should just be able to find it in a couple scrolls backwards from a few weeks ago. And really it's just going to help you have kind of some, some sort of a checklist of like, these are the things that you should do to make sure that your blog post stands out and hopefully to capture the people who are the most important to you. Like you said, we do have the podcast, which is called the Vine podcast. And I really just focus on talking about design and strategy and, you know, the conversations that we've been having today about user experience and your audience. Um, I cover all of those topics over there just to really help people to kind of have like a, a laser view of who their audience is and how they can support them. Because I've just found over the last, you know, six years of designing websites for people that that is the most important thing. And that's really the key to understanding how to create this reader journey is first understanding your audience. So would love for your reader or your listeners to check out that podcast if they're interested in learning more about that. Um, and we've also had an interview together over there where they can go and hear from you guys as well. Yeah, and we I will be- put the link to this, the, the episode we just talked about and to the podcast in the show notes so that our listeners can easily find that um, and go right to the, to that episode. So if our listeners wanted to get in touch with you, Madison, or they had other questions, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah. Well, first, thank you guys so much for having me today. I, as you can probably tell, I love talking about user experience <laughs> and just, you know, all the things that, you know, people can do on their own too. This isn't something where it's like, you have to hire us to be able to do these things. These are things that food bloggers can take and run with on their own. But as I said, our business is Grace and Vine Studios and we build custom websites and brands for Food bloggers. So if that's something that piques your interest and you want to learn more, you can head over to graceandvinestudios.com. I'm most active over on Instagram, which my username is at graceandvine. And then if you want to just learn a little bit more about this topic or some of the other topics we cover, like I said, the Vine podcast is the best place to learn more from me. And I would love to connect with anyone who has questions on this topic. It's something that is so fun. There's so many different ways that this, you know, conversation can go. So happy to have individual conversations with people and just, you know, share ideas of ways that you can uplevel your food blog and make it more of a resource for your audience. Thank you so much for sharing all of your expertise with us today, Madison. We truly appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I would love for you to screenshot it and share it with a friend. You can tag me on Instagram stories at Grace and Vine. For the show notes for this episode, head to thevinepodcast.com. Talk soon.